Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe. Now introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Days in a Maybe. My name is Ed Mann and today we're very, very, very lucky to be joined yet again by fellow co-host, Mr. M. Bizzle, as his Zencaster name will will attest. Uh, Mr. Michael Budd, how are you doing, Mickey? Hello, uh, very lucky. Uh, interesting. Um, I am... Not you are bad. lucky, you are interesting, yes, I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, not too bad. And yourself? I'm very good, thank you, sir. Very good. We've we've smashed out another one of these. It's been a little bit of a, uh, <laughs> a bit of back and forth trying to get this in the books, but we've, we're, we're on it now. Uh, how is your internet going, by the way? Because I know you live in the sticks, uh, but... Uh, last month or so, like, uh, router just keeps, you know, flashing orange, and um, BT sent out a new router, and I thought, and that seemed to work for like a week, and then it's just been doing the same thing again, so um, not good, really. It just tends to be like, so me and Abby have been um, watching the, the Crown on Netflix, so it's like, every time we watch it, uh, we get to like the last 10 minutes, and then, boom, just cuts out. So, no! Oh dear, that's brutal. It's really annoying, and obviously where I am, um, you know, very limited three G, um, and you can forget about four G. So um, quicker yes. to get a pigeon there than to get exactly that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Oh dear, man. Yeah. Does your neighbour? Because you, it's you and one neighbour, isn't? It? Are they having internet yeah. problems, or um, do they bother having? Do they use like BT like you do? No, they're on a satellite internet. So See, I'm uh, surprised you didn't go down that route. Especially when you're working from home. I did look at it, um, but it's it's not cheap. And, that that uh, is the gotcha in it. And the speed isn't as good if you can get infinity. So I mean, also I was massively surprised where we are that we, we could get infinity, but we could. So you know what? It's um, yeah, it's it's not bad really. Um, but yeah, that said, at some point I'm going to leave BT. But you know, it's not really interesting podcast. podcast material, now, so. now they'll know. You know, now they'll know. Well, it's a good job then you're working in the office. You know, on a day to day basis, you don't have to worry about this. This, if you were working remote, you know, freelance, then this would be a complete and utter pain. Yes. Uh, so, so, how's work been treating you, man, for the last couple of weeks? Uh, work has been good. Um, also, I've been at Viper now for like three months. So, um, wow, three months already. Yeah. Um, and things are starting to, um, sink in a bit now. I feel a bit more comfortable. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm enjoying it and I am still learning stuff, which is really good. And, uh, yeah, like I said in the last episode, they, um, they're, they're really hot on their design patterns and, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to like read about them, but another thing to implement them. So it's really good to work with a team that, that do that kind of stuff. So, um, but other than that, I kind of like I think I might have said in the last podcast, but they use um, they use bamboo for their their builds and stuff. And um, I've actually set up a bamboo server myself uh, in the last week. So that's been pretty cool, just playing with that because um, I've never really used anything like that before. From being completely honest, so. Um, I, I found bamboo really nice and easy to set up. So, um, yeah, that's just been another part of the learning curve, really. Um, um, but, yeah, and again, you know, it's just sort of continuing there, um, getting a better knowledge of Git. Um, we, we started doing this 
thing in the last few weeks we we found that a lot of our senior senior de- developers are just spending all their time just reviewing pull requests it's just crazy um uh, you know i feel so sorry for them but they've had like an influx of new guys come on board and uh, obviously we have this rule that like every pull request has to have two approvals before it can get merged so they tend to end up doing those um so what we decided was rather than having like one big massive pull request at the end of your work is that we kind of have like a like a feature branch and then the dev branch and we just you know you try submit a pull request every day and you can then just put your um make a pull request to your your feature branch so then you can just keep getting approvals keep merging in and then in the end you you'll merge your feature branch into the the main develop branch or master branch whatever you do so that's been really really good and it, it does help again just getting more familiar with git and uh having a clue what's going on and what you're doing to be honest so um yeah it's been it's been interesting like i say and, uh, in the meantime still working my way through the headfirst design patterns book and um yeah it was really weird a sort of friday night went out with a couple of friends in, in ashford both programmers and we went to this like um sort of like a craft beer bar type place and uh we ended up spending very very thin uh, well that's it that's it and uh we just kind of you know just like end of the week and you can get the opportunity to relax and we ended up speaking about design patterns for like an hour and a half so um you know what what can you oh do? it's gonna we do a podcast dude this 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 yeah, doesn't yeah, i mean this true. is yeah we, we can't really can we you know no that's it, it. it's part of us it's in our dna uh, is, I do yeah. have one question actually to ask about the bamboo stuff, which yeah. I'm very interested in. Yeah. Like, so how do you set that up? That is, I'm guessing that's not a cloud solution. And that's something then that you pull down, you install the binaries yourself on your own server. That's right. So, I mean, essentially, I think there's like, I think they've got like two um, plans on their like tier structure for pricing. And uh, one is like, you get a license for like $10 a year. So it's, you know, it's nothing. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. So I just basically used um, wget to, to download the, the tar file and um, installed it because it's a Java application. So you've got to make sure you've got like uh, the obviously the, the JDK installed. Um, but other than that, it's it's a pretty painless installation to be honest with you. And then once you've got it, obviously you've just got like a bare bones. So um, all I've got at the moment is basically running through all the unit tests and then um it basically uses have you um used pitch p cs fixer oh it's like a, i have in the past yeah 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 so i've just got it i've just created a, another unit test which basically uh executes that command using like the lint option and it'll just you know if you've got any any code that's not psr2 then it will fail so yeah that's all i've got at the moment but i imagine that that will you know become bigger over time but i guess in a sense you don't want your build uh your build scripts to be too huge right because otherwise you want yeah you want growing levels of confidence you know like you know unit tests you can run locally because that you know they're obviously very much isolated parts and then you know you get it start when you start getting to the functional integration things like that they can run maybe yeah. you know not as frequently maybe when you are doing a build and stuff like that at the end um so you you kind of get growing and you know increasing levels of confidence until the end when you want to do that final you know okay we're merging this we're deploying this completely agree yeah and that, that is actually one of the problems we've sort of had at work at the moment is um our BHAT tests that run as well um, as part of the bamboo build, and they're slow. Um, 
they're not are, are they are they functional tests then or like do they like yeah. kind of do selenium and things of that yeah they're, they're functional and they i think i think to be fair that that slows ours down is there's a lot of document generation so we there's a lot of um we run like uh LibreOffice, and that's kind of opening up these documents um stripping out placeholders all that kind of stuff oh wow um, so every time that one of these um you know api endpoints is called it's kind of starting up that application and doing all the, the generation and then it closes down and, and so forth so i think to be honest with you over time we can um we can finesse that we just you know it's like everyone else we're kind of chasing our tails so we kind of know it's something that we want to speed up um um so yeah i, I mean you know again as part of that problem we, we do have this case where you know we, we make our pull requests and that automatically creates a build and it's a bit annoying because then if something fails, then you go back to your branch and like by that time, you know, your branch is stale and then you need to merge in the latest. And it sometimes can be a bit of a pain, but um, it's certainly better than, than not having it. So that's it. And it's, uh, with um, bamboo and stuff. Yeah. So I, I'm currently what we use at uh, my builder is we use Jenkins and we've been using right. Jenkins for many, many years now. Yeah. Um, and, we're slowly starting to look into alternatives. You know, we're thinking of a different way now. Now we've moved over to AWS, there's co-pipeline, there's things of that ilk kind of thing. And, you know, maybe with Jenkins, we're able to like now take advantage of like the virtual machines, be able to spin up loads of different nodes, like little different kind of worker nodes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we can always scale with how many builds we need to do, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, how does um, Bamboo kind of, how do you define tasks and pipelines and things like that? Like, you know, like you say there, you've got the linting and stuff. Like, is it defined in a certain, like, kind of YAML XML files, like YAML file with, like, Travis, like, CI does? Or is it, like, ant kind of things? Like, uh, how does that work? Uh, I'm going to disappoint you. It's, it's, uh, to be honest, it's very, um, very, very GUI-based, um, what I've been doing, to be honest with you. So you can go in and kind of define, uh, like, a plan. And then as part of a plan, you can add lots of tasks. So, um, for example, the the one task I've got in there at the moment is essentially PHP unit. And you can just say add task, and it will have a certain amount of like um, uh, pre-configured uh, things. So one of them is like PHP unit, basically. So um, I don't know if there is a way you can do it with like a, like a config file. Maybe, I'm not sure, but uh, I just kind of dipped my toe into the water, to be honest. No, that's, it is interesting though, because I mean, there's so many of them. Uh, and actually, when, when I move on to something I've been doing, like with Travis CI, like it, you, it's, it very much becomes part of, you know, obviously, you know, the routine when you're building things and like speed is a big importance and also flexibility. Um, so how how long do, do you know roughly like how, because how long does a build take for you then? Because I'm guessing you do your builds then, they get merged in, then do, is there a build to then yeah. from the actual bamboo to the live servers or how does that work? So at the moment, what we do is we don't do any kind of like um, automatic um, deployment uh, if the build passes, just because we we still want to have that ability where the developers get the final approval on what's going yes. in. Continuous delivery is is it, there's a, there's a, yeah. there's a lot of merits to it, but then as yeah you say there's that not that scary bit that there's no switch that you can kind of go right we're going to do it now. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and uh, and I think really you know the, the problem I guess with if you were to just like completely trust your builds, then in theory you could have code that's PSR two compliant and you know passes all the tests. But you know a developer will look at it and be like, oh, you know, can't, it's not readable. Um, 
So, you know, having a developer having the final say on that is, uh, I, think- well, I suppose once it gets merged, it so you had the two approvals, and then if it was merged in, and say that you know it's always that thing then when if there's a problem if the, if you know you find a bug in the wild in your code base you know you should write a test for it then you know and then it's kind of that development REPL loop so in that case then i suppose you could do to continuous delivery and you're saying like you know okay there may be a problem with doing these things but there is always these gnarly cases like you know with maybe database schema changes and all that kind of stuff which needs some manual intervention yeah. um but you know, this whole yeah. beautiful way. And then if there was any problems, then, you know, you'd have to go back to the drawing board of like, okay, where was the test there and stuff? And you'd slowly kind of refine it. But I agree though, I'm aware of that as well, where it's like, yeah, we like to have those switches and that, that deploy. Yeah, I think so. I think you can't beat that that uh, that feeling really. So, uh, yeah, but in terms of your question, uh, our builds, um, they, they're not as quick as obviously we'd like. I mean, I think probably, I mean, we've essentially got like a PHP unit test. We've got dread tests. We've got spec tests and we've got B hat tests. And there are some very, very uh, expensive tests in there. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, most of them are, are really lightning quick. It is really when it gets to B hat that uh, things go uh, slow, to be honest with you. And uh, I, I've kind of like moaned about them a bit at work, but you know, like, you know, people have said, said to me, well, What's the alternative? You know, you do want it. We can certainly do things, I think, on the um, document generation, but, you know, really, you know, if you want the full t- testing pyramid, then that's that's what you need, right? So um, and like, I think the, the point, like you said, really, you could finesse it again so you could maybe have, like, overnight builds, that kind of thing, so it's not so much of a problem. Mm. I suppose the thing, because the, the way it then is that whole pyramid, isn't it? Where, you know, your unit tests, are, there's a lot of unit tests because of their speed and it goes up to the behavioral, you know, where it goes up to this UI tests. Um, one thing, I mean, we had in the past actually where our builds were getting quite, you know, getting slowly and slowly more and more. Um, we, we kind of averaged out now about eight, eight minutes per build um, for the whole test suite. Yeah. And the way we got around that for some of these was to just parallelize them. So like, you know, do a lot of parallel testing. I don't know whether you've looked yeah. into that kind of splitting out the tests and paralyzing them. So, you know, it's things like that don't, you know, very much tests should be isolated, even if they're integration tests, yeah. uh, you know, there's some set states. I don't know if you use like a shared database or something, but, you know, states, there's not much, you know, kind of as long as the test is doing an isolated in its nature, yeah. um, whether it be by transaction or something, you know, if you want to, you know, kind of play with that. Um, it's interesting, actually, yeah, if you do like kind of run them, in, you know, in parallel, we got some significant um, in, like, improvements with that. I don't know whether that's something like, I mean, I'm sure Bamboo must be able to do stuff with that kind yeah, of there. Uh, that'd be interesting to look at. I might research that in the morning, to be fair. Um, so what what testing uh, do you do you do on your on your products? Can you, are you allowed to, to answer that question? Or? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so we, we have like, so we follow, and quite a few of our projects have been kind of very much focused on the, like a DDD philosophy. So we've got the packages. Uh, they all start with the domain, you know, the core domain, which is agnostic from any symphony, any delivery, anything. You know, it's just the core domain concepts yeah. that offer a problem, uh, you know, like shortlist billing or handling billing or handling credentials or something of, you know, of that where there's like some complexity in there, sufficient enough complexity that it requires, you know, its own kind of domain to be modeled. Uh, and then we have like lots of tests around that unit tests uh, and, and they're beautiful because, you know, they, those type of tests, that type of environment, there's mu- not much set up to do. Uh, it's just the code you've written and it's very much just vanilla PHP code there. Yeah. Uh, we then go into the bridge. 
uh, bridging the gap essentially between the domain and the actual delivery. So our delivery is Symphony. Uh, so, you know, typically it is just Symphony. So what we'll do there with bridging is it will essentially be implementing, say, the interfaces and things, you know, like the, the kind of external dependencies require, you know, yeah. anything that's external uh, that needs to be, you know, kind of handled uh, at the integration level. And then we'll go into our actual delivery and the delivery then will be like a small wrapper around the stuff that we've bridged and the services that are in the domain. So typically, you know, we'll be interacting with domain services that would then be constructed based on the interfa- implemented interfaces in the bridge. Uh, and then uh, Symphony kind of stuff, you know, it will be very much kind of like controller stuff that will come in and it will just pipe it straight to what the domain needs to do. Uh, you know, some command stuff may be a little bit more complicated, but that's kind of the philosophy we've really kind of strive for uh, because what that allows us to do is do a lot of the testing, a lot of the core important testing at the package level, yeah. move it into the bridge then where we can then test in isolation these point points because our persistence, in-memory persistence and things, you know, of though they all can be done in the package level. But then when it gets to the bridge, we just need to do a contract test saying, does our implementation of this repository, you know, using, say, proper in our case or just flat, you know, SQL, does it actually work with Postgres? And we can just do an easy contract test with that. Um, then what we'll do is go up to actually to delivery and we can then do maybe like a full integration test at that point. If we really care, you know, there's an important part, we may be able to do the integration test, like a certain functional integration test at the bridge level as well. Um, but this allows us then to, and this is what we've kind of really strived for in the last couple of years is that it allows us to have, you know, very quick, uh, domain tests. And then it kind of goes up from there. Now, I wouldn't say we do it, you know, like that all the time. And there's obviously cases, you know, that it just doesn't add value to do that. You know, some problems aren't that domain specific and that kind of have that rich of a domain that we, you know, we can then just start using controllers and stuff and like say with like things like competitions and stuff. I wrote that all in controllers and all in Symphony and the services in Symphony and whatnot. And then there's just tests around that. So it it depends on where the prob- what the problem is. Um, but we found that, yeah, you know, this kind of blend like that, and, and that really does then start, you know, aligning with that whole pyramid, that testing pyramid that you get where you don't need, you know, you, you've got very much good confidence and you can be running these tests in PHP Storm. PHP Storm's great for that. And you can use the debugger in PHP Storm with these tests and everything. And uh, we had, I had some really good times last year working on this shortlist billing stuff and really finding that so valuable, that REPL loop. Uh, and, and yeah, improving on the test that way. Have you used, uh, do you use Dread at all? Uh, no, is Dread the API? Yeah. Um, so APIs are interesting as well, actually. So we've, because we've got a split of our APIs. So we've kind of done some, not, I wouldn't say microservices. I'll just say they're kind of like separate domains. Yeah. So, you know, like their own, their, their own kind of like bounded contexts. Yeah. Um, they are in the same repo. So we, we have a, a essentially like kind of a, a big repository that then has all of the different bits in that then can be split up and, you know, how we do deploys and stuff. Uh, So testing APIs is actually a lot easier when you've got like a very simple API or a a kind of a a very simple, I would say not a simple, sorry, I would say more when you've got a focused domain or something, because testing like the APIs, you know, you can just test the endpoints and just assert their state and things coming back. And actually that's what I've been doing with the MincePy challenge stuff is you're able to do some quite nice, easy things in that, in that case. Um, obviously, you know, these APIs and that point, they, you know, if there's any domain logic that will come in the package and again, those will be tested up and brought up. And again, the API is just a delivery. So, you know, it depends on how the complexity of it, but you know, at the level of that, it's just a very easy kind of, 
unit UI test essentially. It's just the API, you know, responses and stuff. Do they come back as expected and whatnot? So that has been a big change in mindset for me since I've been a Viper. This idea that because I think I don't know if it's fair fair to say, but since I because I'm from like the Laravel world, I'm so used to kind of like validating things in controllers, and then you go and work for some uh, some developers who are very much um, DDD disciples, and then the first thing they try and beat out of you is this idea that you're that the you're doing anything at like the the controller level because really the the logic is at the at your internal model, your those model representations of things. Yeah. So, you know your your user model knows whether you can uh, create a user with no forename. You, that shouldn't be in the controller. That's, sort that's of it. And you know, and I think certain levels of validation is okay in the controller actually, because I think stuff like you know checking to make sure the input is. I would say not strictly, you know, like actually is there is okay or something, or maybe like there's no SQL injections or things like that, you know, like typical parsing. Mm. I understand that that can get wishy-washy and then start getting into the layers, but it's, it's really is tough, but it's also the value of it. Like for me, a rich domain then warrants this package, this bridge, this kind of, you know, this, this philosophy. But when you start, when you, you know, the trouble is with DDD is that a lot of it, coming in and like when you start doing it you try to apply it to any problem but all problems aren't made equal you know that there, there are problems that are better suited to it than others and, and that's what everyone's even says you know and everyone who kind of does it and you you either realize it or you you hear about the fact that yeah you know some domains just don't warrant it um you know and, and there's some things that you know say just believing it in symphony is fine um, I, I'm definitely not of a hard and tr- you know true rule that everything has to be of a certain way because I just know that programming doesn't work that way. Yeah, um, it's true. I understand like people want, and and I'm like that where I've wanted in the past I've wanted one rule that rules them all. You know, yeah, like yeah. you know it's like well it's a single responsibility principle, the solid principles, or, or you know all these kind of things. But they're so wishy washy in some regard, and also it's the value for me. It's the value. So these tests and and having this domain, I want to make sure this is an important part of our you know our business. You know, if this if this domain doesn't work and you know is wrong, then we could have it would you know cause bad things to happen to the business. That to me is important then. You know, whereas say like a blog or like a, you know, a simple, you know, in our case, a competition system, there's not as much value to it. So let's just leave it up in the layer, you know, levels. Let's add some tests around it, but there may just be UI tests. There may not be anything clever in there. It may could be redesigned in a much better way, but that's not our core business value or, you know, kind of thing that needs to be done. So yeah, it's hard to kind of say one true rule or one true way. You were saying about you, you know, you've got those clearly, um, clearly defined uh, domain boundaries. Um, how does that exist? You were saying it's all in the same code base. Is that is that just in different bundles? Because you Symphony guys love bundles, like. <laughs> well, no, it's it's in separate, complete. So you can think of our you can think of our repository. So we've got like an API folder and then an app folder, and then we've got a package folder, a bridge folder, all top level. And then, so the APIs will live in there. So you have an API and then you'd have whatever API we've got. And that'll be then that folder will then be a Symphony application. And then you'd have an app and then you have marketplace and admin and whatnot. And those will be Symphony applications in, them, in, in themselves. Then you would have like the package, which would be then its own, fo- like a pa- inside the package folder, you would have then a separate package like shortlist billing. And that would have its own composer.json file. And it will be its own, you know, 
sole repository, you know, own sole thing. Now, the nice thing about Composer now, we used to use this tool that we made called Conductor to allow us to do this, but you can just input, you know, require things in, say, like your symphony that's just a sim link to something you already, you already own. In, you know is already present in that repository on your file system so you get this separation where you know you've got this very much logical separation you can't break this you know and this kind of thing um but you get it in the same repository which is a lot easier to understand especially when you're doing you know kind of lots of changes and actually you know this whole movement to microservices and things like that you know it's that physical and it's so funny because we talked to scott Voloshin about this a lot is that you know it's this physical separation because as developers, we're very much kind of like, oh, well, if it's there, I can use it, you know, and, and you can look at it in code and look at namespaces even and realize they shouldn't be talking to each other. Now, I will say that, I will caveat that though, with again, it's all about value as well, because yes, bounding context and not talking and doing it right, doing TTOs and, and having, you know, cleared the boundaries are fine. The Where it gets wishy-washy is things like stats, and queries, SQL queries. Now, we have one big, we have a big database, um, like many people. Uh, we've separated them out into different schemas for, say, like the API, so they're their own bounded contexts. But some tasks, such as stats, it's very easy because, again, people come to you and ask for stats and stuff, ask for different things to just cross the boundaries. Now, I'm getting bitten by that actually this week because I'm splitting out something into its own entire database and its own separate thing. It's going actually very well, but I know there's some queries and some stats and stuff that's being kind of added on at the end because, you know, we want to be able to just ask this question, answer this question. It's really easy in the database. They're all there and stuff. Um, but yeah, you get into this world where playing around with bounding context and kind of, you know, separating them out is, is very much just a cognitive thing. It doesn't have to be a separate service thing. No, that's true. So for the audience, yes. they won't have heard that, you know, like small intermission. No. Uh, but we would like to, the, the reason why we've called this episode, there's a mouse running around the house. Yep. Because Mickey has just had to leave his hat, his lovely, you know, cottage. It was, yeah, you've got nice, like, outside shed, haven't you? That you've got. Yeah. It's not really a shed. It's an outhouse. It's Thank a... You. Yeah, there's a. Is it an outhouse? What was the actual terminology uh, for well, it? I think the building is almost like a summer house, and then I've That's just kitted it. it out. Very nice. Yeah, you, you're out in the summer house, you know. Yeah. And uh, Abby, your wife, has just told you by a note that yeah, there was a mouse running around the house, and you had to go and and deal with the situation, which Basically, you didn't yeah. do. But no. the no. cats are uh, doing a good job at making a lot of noise. I'm sure. The cats are going crazy trying to find their mouse, yeah. Especially while we've got one Norwegian cat and he's a formidable hunter. Like I, I hate it. I hate seeing him catch mice. No, and I don't like that. Um, but he, you know, clearly that's what he does and he does it very well. And as soon as like he sees a mouse and he's got no chance, like he's so oh, fast. Man. So fast. Um but that is the reason why then that, they that is the interlude. I had a note saying help big mouse in the house. Sounds big mouse weird. in the house. You know, there's lots of ways we can go with this title, but obviously you'll be able to see this when you're listening to it. What yeah. one we actually went for. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So sorry about that. Sorry. No, that's fine, man. It's absolutely fine. So yeah. So, you know, kind of what big projects then you've got going on at the moment then, if you've got anything interesting in the pipeline or you're currently working on, um, 
so at the moment we at work we're kind of like just um we we had something that sort of um not went live but basically we met one of our deadlines and that sort of went to uat and and then we've had maybe like 15 or so tickets come back from a result from that which is pretty good and uh, so we're kind of cleaning all that up um and then uh we're hopefully starting on another product basically so um oh exciting greenfield yeah yeah so um so we've got that and uh sort of to be honest in my spare time now don't really get a lot of chance to do too much um would still like to build something on my own at some point, but at the moment I'm just taking the opportunity to, um, well, read the head first design patterns book, um, and also, um, yeah, non non development related. Been trying to learn a bit of French, so uh, wow, yeah. threw that out there. How's that going? Are you using any apps for it or any anything like that? Yeah, I'm using that. Is it Duolingo app? Okay, um, how you I'm finding? I, I, well, I love it to be honest. I think it's a really good app. Um, it's free, and uh, yeah, I just do sort of ten minutes every day on the train. Um, so I, I try and do that, and then read the design patterns book on the train. It just means I, I, get like, a little... I like this productive time. It seems to be yeah. some really good, like productive time from you. Yeah, there's just so much to learn, isn't there? So, uh, but like I said, I mean, you touched on um, the Eric Evans book before, I think, and that is, I really want to get on into that book um but i don't i don't want to leave the design patterns one half finished but i think i'm near the end of that now i'm on the proxy pattern which uh in my kindle says i'm 60 percent away through the book but someone who's reading the hard uh, copy of the book told me the other day that i'm right near the end so that was quite nice um Who are you gonna trust that's the thing isn't it i know I did like you get exactly. anything from amazon prime day i didn't no uh, I did look to see if they Amazon have it. geniuses. Just the way that they're able, you know, like it, yeah. they are, they have completely dominated the market. And I was actually yeah. watching a video on kind of their idea is scale. You know, like yeah. Bezos's idea is that okay, we can do that for one person. Can we do it for a million people or at that million scale? And that's what AWS is like, isn't it? You know, it's like yeah, right, yeah. we can do this compute for me. Can I do it for everyone? And that's how they, their philosophy has been. It's just like, can we do it for everyone? You know, like Prime, it's like, great. I want free delivery for everyone. You know, this kind of thing, you know, where we have a subscription model and stuff. It's just, yeah, very, very interesting. And there's, they start calling them fangs now. Have you heard that? that so it's Facebook, Amazon, uh, Netflix, and Google. They call oh, them fangs. Oh, I like that. No four. Microsoft in there. Sad times. That's interesting, isn't it, actually? Yeah. yeah, they're still a big one. They're still, they're still definitely up there. I think they just come up with the acronyms and then make... Yeah, you know, they're like, damn it, we need to put someone in there. Yeah, because I think you could do S as well, wouldn't you? But I don't know what S would be. Oh, yeah, good point. Uh, yeah. It's currently, it's only Fang. We couldn't do Fang... Yeah, no, it wouldn't work. Sorry, Microsoft. You either need to change your name or we need to come up with a different acronym. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, these, like, you know, driven development acronyms. Like, you just, you come up with the letters first and then you make a... <laughs> you shoehorn a word in that exactly. remotely, like, kind of, you know, describes what you're meaning. I like it. Yeah, exactly. We need to come up with one. Like, uh, As well, OD. the solid principles was one of the best, I think, acronyms, to be honest. Like, yeah. the way that it was able to be laid out and stuff. And obviously, it's a very cool acronym to be. Um, it's stood the test of time, hasn't it, really? Um, well, they're solid. You know, I mean, yeah, that's, that's solid, like, solid exactly. principles. Absolutely. So how about you anyway? What what exciting projects what have you? I, been, well, I actually have got a list of things uh, yeah. in my, as, as I do. 
Um, yeah. But there's a couple of bits. So a couple of blog, uh, blog posts that I've released the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah. I had a little look into Babel plugins. So Babel uh, is the transpiler, the JavaScript transpiler that allows you to essentially write the latest and greatest JavaScript and then transpile it. Transpiler, just a fancy word for saying, change it from Java, you know, new JavaScript to old JavaScript, staying in the same kind of language, program language. Or actually, the same, it's, it's the same third level it's like the third level programming language or something, that high level is transpilation. So the way it works, uh, I was listening to a, pod, a podcast, I put it in the show notes, and like the, the three stages, you know, the past stage where they convert your code essentially into an AST, abstract, abstract, uh, the abstract syntax tree. And then from the AST, they then run a load of Babel plugins, one of which could be your own, uh, you know, the ones you typically see, you know, the ES6 stuff, the ES5 stuff and whatnot. And then they just do another case where it's just trans, it's essentially compiling it back. Now, I was very interested in this whole Bab- the Babel plugins and actually kind of thinking, oh, how could I make my own? So I had a, couple, a little bit of play and actually there's a website um, that is in the blog post and I've described it in the blog post called AST Explorer. And it allows you to just play with it in the browser. So I made a couple of little plugins. One was called function, comp- it was adding a function composition operator to JavaScript. So essentially what it was doing was overloading what the, um, I think it was the and bitwise operator does, the at, the at symbol. And what it allowed you to do was very fancily kind of do function composition which is essentially you know, nesting functions uh very nicely with just this composition so you, you get this in things like f sharp and you get it in haskell with dot notation and i think it's like you know like greater than greater than in um in f sharp so that was a lot of fun and then i did this idea and i thought all right let's just completely go crazy and let's completely change the ast because because it, it uses the visitor pattern which you know in your book i'm sure you've looked at the visitor pattern uh, and it's able to use this and a lot of the actual uh, kind of compilers use this to kind of reverse the ast and change it manipulate it and essentially what i'm doing is manipulating the ast so of another one i did was autocurrid functions so i say that anytime there's a function invocation i want to have a look at it so i then say in here that i want to split out so you because I've made um, the function operator, or also, sorry, there's two ways actually, sorry. So the auto function thing, I say, if there's a function, I want to look at it. And then what I do is I, curry, currying is essentially, it's, it's essentially the idea is that every function is just a, um, a, a, like a chain uh, up until the value, you know, the end value of one parameter functions. So this is, you know, you can think of like, say a function with two, like, you know, like say add has A and B. And then you could have that saying in, you know, current form, you could do A and then you get a function back, which is partially applied with whatever value A was and then B. So you could say like you can make an, you can use this and the value of currying and a value of partial application is to be able to build new functions with very minimal work and overhead. Because say the add function, I could make an inc function very easily out of that or a deck function very easily, you know, where I could just partially apply, say, one to it. And now ink is just, you know, a new function where it's partially applied with one. So anyway, so long story in there is the autocurrent function. So the idea was that every function that I that was available, would I would then break it up, all of the parameters into single RT, well, single, yeah, single uh, parameter functions. And it worked very well. And it was very fun, actually. And, and I've got a blog post that I'll put in the show notes kind of discussing these two little little plugins and they're very easy and, and it's very powerful i definitely wouldn't say to use it in your day job but definitely to understand kind of have like a lang- like a like programming languages and how they work it's a very high level way of kind of looking at it especially in like the Babel world but it's so powerful and, and it's definitely influential in how javascript you know moves and stuff so i definitely check that out 
Uh, the other one is uh, carrying on with the mince pie challenge stuff. Uh, so I said in the last podcast, and I've completed it, uh, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is every week release a new part, a new article on this kind of journey I'm on with it. And the last one was about Jest, so testing with Jest, uh, the, the test runner Jest, and also then building up a kind of a, a delivery pipeline uh, with Travis CI. So it was quite fun, actually. So I was able... I was looking into again, like you know, this t- testing pyramid kind of thinking. Okay, where are, where are the domain concepts? Like splitting out the domain logic from the delivery mechanism. You know, not having to worry like test and go through the whole lambda kind of thing, and you know, this whole kind of loop. You know, going from the outside in. I was looking at okay, how can I break this up into domain logic and then have a delivery mechanism and kind of essentially you know, use Jest to test the domain logic on its own. So I discussed that in the blog post. And then I also then go into test like how I would then add that into with flow testing, you know, like types set um, the types that I've got also with Travis CI. And Travis CI is really cool because it also provides you free if it's a public repository. Um, they do do private ones as well. It provides you with Docker support. So you can actually just run Docker containers. So now because everything's Dockerized in this kind of work that I'm doing, I'm able to easily just run it, spin up my Docker instance, know exactly what's going to be done and run the tests and get the answers back. So there's like very minimal kind of setup that's different. In fact, there's no setup that's different from me running on the Travis CI build to run it on my machine, which is just, yeah, amazing. Um, With the next thing I'm currently looking at into it is now serverless offline and local DynamoDB. So one of the gotchas, and I'm sure you've seen it with serverless, is that it's all online. You know, like everything has to be run. So even if you're in dev stage, you're running it, you're pushing it to AWS, you're seeing how it works. Or you can run it semi-locally with serverless. Um, there's a, there's a plugin or for serverless called serverless offline that essentially allows you to provide that provides you with kind of a, a very like kind of simple bare bones API gateway Lambda inf- interface, which allows you to essentially run it locally. And I'm getting good results out of that, actually playing around with it. And also there's a DynamoDB. So the DynamoDB database, the NoSQL database that AWS provides, there's a local instance with Docker that you can use. So I'm going through that at the moment, kind of playing around with the idea of being able to run it locally offline, then in dev, which would be kind of within AWS world. And then obviously you can put it into production. So you can then see those different stages uh, and playing around with, with uh, serverless. Um, I also dockerized GitHub. This was another fun thing. So our, um, my builder blog and everything. So we use Jekyll for it and everything of that, like that. Also for my local one, for my own personal one, I use that as well. And again, it's this whole thing of, I used to use a gem, which then had the GitHub pages on. I just now dockerized it. Like, why do I have it on my machine? The, you know, the beauty is get it all off the machine into a Docker image, super easy, can be committed, and then people can pull it down and do what they need with it. Uh, and it's so great. I mean, the amount of you know, images that are out there already. I mean, I just pulled one from GitHub and I just used Docker Compose to be able to join the bits in together that I wanted. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then there's finally another two things. Uh, so another thing I did was I played with Go. There was a problem that we had that actually, that when I was talking to Alex Bilby, he mentioned with Go and using for command line applications. And we had this problem that he actually mentioned, which was, I think it was very similar where he wanted to allow people in through their security groups in AWS world, essentially whitelisting development IP addresses. And what I wanted to do was make a very small command line application using the AWS SDK for Go that allowed people to essentially run this script provide the MFA for their AWS account or whatnot, not, 
be locked down that it can only they could only access certain security groups and update certain security groups and be able to update their own IP addresses, which would save me a hell of a lot of time when mecking around with dev. So I played around with that with Go and everything, and I love Go. Like I can understand why people love it now. It's such a simple language and it's so cool. Um, the binary that I was able to produce was quite big, like eight megabytes or something. But I think it because had a lot to do with like AWS stuff in there as well. But the fact that I can pr- produce a binary that you know is the whole artifact that's compiled down into you know the code that needs to be run on that machine. Uh, I'm definitely going to be looking into it for future serverless stuff and also kind of just small microservice quote stuff that I'll be playing around with in my own time. So when you say it's super easy, what? There must be some sort of learning curve, right? I mean, uh, no, because no, if you if you know PHP, you'll know it. Like, you know, there's obviously types, you know, and and that's one thing, you know. But then that's very much in the PHP world now. And then, like in Java, there's a compile step, you know, obviously like Java and stuff. But it's not. It was made to be a simple language. Yes, you can make it more confusing by if you start adding concurrency and things like that. And it does very well with that stuff. But for the fundamentals, and actually there was a video this guy posted, and actually I, I picked up on his Docker video as well, and I'll post that in the show notes as well because it was very good. Twelve minutes. Here's you know like the stuff you need to know about Go. Get you know getting you know let's go with Go essentially. Uh, you know to get used to it. It it makes sense, you know, and it's a very simple language, and it's very hard. Like, I mean, there's only a for loop, you know. There's no while loops and stuff like that. There's no way different ways of doing things. Everything kind of you know revolves around some very simple ways then use go format to make it exactly you know it looks exactly like the other person's code you know it's very much meant to be boring looking code that looks the same it's very samey and that and that's good you know for code that's what you want for code that you're going to be managing it's very useful and the way that they do dependency um management and things like that is very interesting with using url paths and things so i'm very interested in looking more into it for sure and the performance you know that's definitely a big thing and the size of things and and it kind of gets you down into that world yeah of being able to start messing around because you'll you know mess around with pointers and things but without having to touch c plus plus or c that's definitely on my list i think in fact you just touched on two things that i really want to uh, to learn uh, go and um docker and I did start looking at Kotlin on the train. Um, yeah, how did you find that? People, people, I had someone, I spoke to someone saying Kotlin is kind of, you know, like Java is pushing up on that. Yeah, that that's the feeling I got when I looked at it, but I only really scratched the surface, to be honest with you. And um, It's almost like but, the hack to the PHP 5, 7 thing. You know, you need, yeah. like, you need hack to get to PHP 7 for people to move on. It's almost like you need a whole other language for someone to go, oh, no, I really want that, because that's what we were like with Hack. You know, always yeah. PHP 5 developers were like, oh, I really want Hack with all these things it can do and the speed and stuff. But you get the early adopters, obviously, who then, and like CoffeeScript, you know, all these things. I mean, CoffeeScript, again, was the thing that spurned on ES6. So, yeah, you need these languages. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And another thing, and the final thing, and I think this is something you, you will be quite interested in, uh, and I'm definitely interested in. I know that last episode, and I know you bought for Christmas uh, electronics kit. You bought yes. like a was it a Raspberry Pi or an Arduino? Yeah. yeah, Raspberry Pi. So I, I I've never been that good electronic. I, I've never understood electronics at all. You know, I've kind of yeah. I've decided I'm I'm gonna try and learn as much as I can. Um, so I've kind of gone even you know like kind of delving into how electronics works. And I there's this guy on on um, YouTube called Ben Eater, and he has made out of breadboards an 8-bit computer 
and he goes through how to do this. Wow. And it's so cool. And I, so I brought myself a small little electronics breadboard kit, uh, and I'll be messing around with logic gates, uh, with transistors, learning about transistors, learning how electricity works and stuff. I've, I've got a couple of blog posts uh, in the pipeline for for or and not nors and nans i'm now playing around with xor it's super interesting to see how you actually can physically make these logics you know this logic you know an and or a not or a nor uh, and nans and xors even through simple transistors and you know kind so of manipulation like- electronics ele- electricity in your you know current in you know mysterious ways yeah so yeah like you say so you're you're basically controlling the current and depending on the strength of the current you either get a one or a zero uh yeah well so transistors the way that transistor work like an npm transistor is you have a base an emitter and a collector and the idea being that you in the base if you so you have a current going through the emitter and the base and then i know the emitter and the the you have a, a larger current going through the emitter and the collector and then the base, you put a, a small amount in there, and that opens up that gate essentially, that electrical, electric, um, you know, that actual flow. So it allows then the bigger current to go through. And you can put these into certain ways. I mean, the easy ones are actually the ors and the ands, because you can kind of think of one well, and is just the fact that I need to double these up, or or means that you know either one of these can work. It's when you start getting into the nors and the nands and the not, and not an inverter is very interesting because it's all about it takes advantage of like current being lazy. And like the idea that current will kind of take the easiest path. So yeah, I've had a lot of fun and, and I definitely say it's way above my head and I'm learning it now, trying to kind of get my head around it all. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Like it is interesting. And like these, and these videos are kind of, I'm just going through these videos and kind of trying to understand it. And my, my, my dream is eventually to like try, help, you know, try and build this eight bit computer that he has. Uh, but I think I'm a, definitely a long way off that. But I just would like to know more of a fundamental level where we're at, because I think we're, you know, we're so high level with programming and it's great and there's lots of problems here, but there's things underneath it. And I think going all the way down just to the current, just to the electrons, the protons, the atom itself is so interesting and like valuable I could not. for your day job. But, you know, it's 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 fun. I could not agree more. Like for me, I, I, I'd love to understand all that. And uh, because I think like what you're saying with the gates and stuff as well, you have to have like a certain amount of distance between two bits or, or I surely, you know, you could get noise in the system and you won't get that clear, uh, you know, one or zero type signal and all this kind of stuff really fascinates me. And uh, like you say, I got that like electronic kit for Christmas and um, I have not touched it because of life and uh just trying to well, find you are a busy time. busy busy man sir yeah absolutely but uh yeah I, it really fascinates me i'd love to do that and some of the like you know stuff you can do with like a raspberry pi and it's it's so cool and there's so many different things you can do isn't there but yeah need time need more time when i retire that's when I'll. that's I'll it do. well it's even even around the house like learning about like ring mains and things like that to me like you yeah. know, consumer units and stuff and and how like earth leakage detectors work i mean all these kind of practical things are super interesting to learn about like yeah, yeah. i just take it for granted i used to and now i'm kind of opening to a world and i'm my brain is completely shot with it like it just doesn't get it you know and i love it because i know this feeling is just like something completely out of my depth um and it's great because you know it's yeah it's something new yeah well is is this a good point to 
to I'd wrap up the could, show. Yeah, I think we could wrap up the show. I think it's been another great episode, you know, in my humble opinion. You know, I don't like to, you know, I know, sorry, at the end, I kind of like spewed off a load of stuff. Uh, it was funny. I actually even made a list and everything, which was quite, you know, very structured and organized. Yeah. Um, did you, that's did you been a good list. I did get through the list. I did. Oh, I did. I bored you to death sufficiently, I think. Um, but no, <laughs> I, you know, it's been, a, it's been a great episode, man. It's always good to talk yeah. to you. And I'm, I'm glad things right. are going well as, as always. And yeah. Amber, you need to keep me in the loop with that. It'd be interesting to see your experience kind of further on with that. Um, yeah, as yeah, it fleshes out, I'll, uh, I'll keep you updated. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Right. Would you, I tell you what, how about you do the closing salutations? Okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening. I've had a blast. Hope it's been enjoyable for you. Uh, this has been the Mouse in the House episode with me, Michael Budd, and Ed Mann. Stay classy. Uh, San Diego. Bye, San guys. Diego. Bye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe.